Welcome to the Race Haven Radio Show and Podcast, your source for solutions-focused dialogue about race in America, with your host, Scott Speed. Haven Podcast. This is Solutions Focused Dialogue about Race Relations in America. My name is Dr. Scott Speed and I am the facilitator of the dialogue. This is episode 23 of Race Haven and today I am joined by two special guest co-hosts and friends of mine, Raid Curtis DeVoe and Denny Faircloth. Before I introduce them, I want to first uh, just let you all know that I'm excited uh, to be here today. Uh, we've had a short hiatus uh, due to some personal things that have been going on, uh, but I'm excited to be back and ready to uh, expand and extend on the dialogue that we've started about race relations in America. So to get started today, I want to introduce uh, our guest, uh, Denny and Kurt. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Glad that you guys could join us. Um, you know, could join the show today. I appreciate you coming on. I just want to tell our listeners uh, a little bit about how I know both of you and then allow you guys to uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves. Um, I did Curtis DeVoe, who I'm going to call Kurt throughout the rest of the show because uh, that's how I, I've known him since, uh, or that's what I've called him uh, since ninth grade. Me and this guy go back. We go all the way back uh, to West Philadelphia, Ninth grade in high school is when we became friends, and we've been great friends ever since. And Denny uh, Faircloth, who I call Denny, uh, Denny and I met about three years ago through a uh, joint uh, business venture uh, project that we worked on together. Um, and we've been friends. Uh, our families uh, have been friends uh, ever since. And it's been a pleasure uh, getting to know him and both him and his wife and becoming friends with them. And my wife, uh, you know, I spent time with them as well. So we, um, you know, we spent time together as, as families and we've actually uh, even been on a vacation together, um, you know, within that project and had a great time together. So uh, good people, both guys on the line. I'm excited to have them because I know that above everything, they both care about people and I'm excited about the perspective uh, that they're going to bring today. So uh, for context for our listeners, uh, well, actually, let me start by saying this. Today, we're going to dialogue about race relations in President-elect Donald Trump's America. That's right. We're coming back um, to do the podcast uh, at the right time because, you know, it's something that's being discussed very heavily uh, in the, uh, the the social discourse around this country. Uh, it's something that, in my estimation, has been very divisive within this country, um, you know, ever since, um, you know, the election results have come in and there's been a lot of thoughts and uh, beliefs and perspectives uh, from various, you know, directions and backgrounds, et cetera. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, to get started here, uh, Kurt, why don't you tell our listeners uh, a little bit about yourself? Um, and let me, let me do this. Let me just set it up this way. If you could tell our listeners, um, you know, your, your race, your quote unquote race, where you're from and your political affiliation, uh, we'll, we'll start like that. 
Um, I am an African-American male uh, from Philadelphia, and I have a unique perspective on political affiliation um, where uh, I believe activism is probably the strongest statement that you can make politically. So um, I do do follow politics. I've worked on several campaigns, uh, so I kind of – kind of like to think I have a uh, some additional insight about some of the inner workings in politics. So. Okay. Thanks for sharing. And at the end of this show, I'm going to ask both, uh, just so our listeners know, I'm going to ask both uh, Kurt and Denny to uh, tell everyone about uh, what they do professionally and, and within their communities and how you can get in touch with them. Uh, but we'll do that at the end of the show. Uh, but so, Denny, could you do me a favor and share with our, our listeners uh, your quote unquote race, where you're from and your political affiliation? Uh, yeah, I'm a, a white male, grew up in Augusta, Georgia, um, actually grew up in a predominantly African-American neighborhood, uh, went to a, a predominantly white Baptist private school up till uh, maybe the end of elementary school and then went to public school through the end of high school. So, you know, pretty uh, diverse, uh, I guess, upbringing. And then uh, I'm a registered libertarian. And uh, for those of you that don't um, know what a libertarian is, the the thing that they hold the most value in and uh, cherish is individual liberty and freedom. And they tend to lean um, socially more liberal and economically uh, or more fiscally conservative. And uh, I, too, have uh, participated in a couple of uh, political campaigns on the local level, nothing on the national level, and uh, I'm excited to be on the on the podcast today. Awesome. Sounds great. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you yeah, good, right. Scott. Okay, great. If, if for some reason I go out, just let me know in, in case uh, I think I'm talking and you can't hear me. Um, okay, so... Just as a, cl- a quick disclaimer, I appreciate you guys giving us that context for our listeners. Um, I want to, as a disclaimer, I, I asked both uh, Kurt and Denny uh, onto the show because, as always, I want to present a diverse perspective on the topic. And while I may ask them to provide context based on their quote-unquote race, I know that they do not speak for everyone who shares their background. And that's just a little quick disclaimer. And also, the reason why I'm saying quote-unquote race uh, is because I be- I've learned that race is a man-made social construct, and it's a man-made social construct based on everything I've learned that I believe uh, is one of the biggest divisive forces uh, in our society. So therefore, I typically don't refer to race, even though this show is called Race Haven. And actually, this is some knowledge that I've learned since starting this show and since starting our Facebook group. So just a way for me to kind of be conscious, um, I refer to people as their, as through their ethnicity, um, because I don't <clears throat> I don't like to um, I guess, perpetuate uh, the divisiveness that race has, has, was created to be in our society. Uh, and that's why you'll hear me say, quote unquote, race. That's why you'll hear me say African-American instead of black. That's why you'll hear me say European-American instead of white. So just a little bit of disclaimer, just so you guys can understand uh, what I'm saying and why I'm saying it. So before we explore our topic for today's show, I want to tell you, our listeners, why dialogue is greater than debate. In debate, there can only be one winner. In dialogue, participants work together towards collective solutions, win-wins. So each week, I will share with you a different example, or let me say this, each show, uh, I will share with you a different example 
of how dialogue is greater than debate. So for this show, I want to share with you that dialogue is collaborative. Multiple sides work together uh, towards shared understanding. In contrast, debate is oppositional. Two opposing sides try to prove each other wrong. And it's interesting that I'm sharing this with you right off of the uh, election, because as we know, our society is based on debate. Um, You know, our elections and how we um, elect our leaders is always based on debate. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I do a lot of research and studying and read books on the power of dialogue. And if you're new, um, you know, I believe in dialogue because I believe that dialogue brings us together. And Race Haven was created in an effort uh, to start and spark a multi uh, ethnic, uh, interracial dialogue or discussions about race relations in America. And dialogue is the framework. If we all learn the skill of dialogue, I believe that we can overcome any misunderstandings, any gaps in perspective. And with that being said, I also think that if dialogue was the foundation of our political discourse, our nation would be much more healthier and, and much more harm harmonious um, and, and, and just a, a, a better place to be. Um, so with that being said, I want to let you all know that our framework for authentic dialogue on this podcast is this. Number one, participants listen with a sense of curiosity and ask questions to uncover the underlying assumptions and beliefs behind someone's statements. Number two, participants are willing to communicate their thoughts openly and honestly while putting aside emotions, defensiveness, and a desire to be right. And number three, participants approach someone who sees a problem differently, not as an adversary, but as a colleague in in common pursuit of better solutions. So welcome to the dialogue. Kurt and Denny, are you ready? Let's go. Yeah, I'm ready now. Awesome. And so let me just say this too, uh, for Kurt and Dean, just so you know, as I ask questions, uh, please don't hesitate to ask one another question, each other questions as well. Uh, And as we get into this, you know, let's all just have an open, honest conversation. And by doing that, I know that our listeners uh, will get a lot out of it. So with that being said, to kind of start things off, I want to start with you, Denny. I want to ask you a question. Um, Based on your personal perspective, and and just as a little context, I'm friends with Denny. Uh, on Facebook and as well as Ra'id and then Ra'id and I, we have a lot of conversations offline uh, about the various things that we talk about on this show. And in looking at your timeline, Denny, and the things that you posted, because you're very active in uh, talking about, you were very active during a political season and kind of sharing some of your thoughts and views. I noticed that a lot of your Facebook friends, I don't know how many of them are actually real friends, but a lot of your Facebook friends, um, you know, had seemed like the majority of them linked towards being Trump supporters. So what I want to ask you is, based on, um, you know, your, your, your perspective, what does Donald Trump winning the election uh, mean to the people you know that supported him? Huh. What do I think <laughs> it means? What, uh, I, what do I think that it means to them? Yeah, what, what, what do you think it means? And even if you, because you never put out there, I know that you're libertarian, uh, but you never put out who you voted for. But, you know, I don't know if you voted for Donald Trump. I think that a lot of his uh, policies align with some of your, um, I'm making an assumption based on things I've read on Facebook. because no, you I, Yeah, I voted for that. Trump, and I don't mind sharing that. Okay, awesome. Thank you for just putting that out there. So with that being said, what does Donald Trump winning the election mean to you and, and just other people in your circle that you know supported him? Yeah, I would think that it's probably very different um, 
to to me than than a lot of his supporters or a lot of you know my quote unquote Facebook friends because I think one of the biggest problems and challenges we face today in um, politics is um, the two party system and the tendency, oftentimes like in race relations, for someone to paint broad strokes over an entire you know, group of people based off of, you know, one singular common bond. And in this one, we're talking about people that voted for Trump. So for me, um, the reason I voted for him is because a lot of his policies are, as you mentioned, more in line with the way I believe um, our economy uh, works and what would best you know, grow our economy, create jobs, and help, you know, not just rich people, but the middle class and poor people and and all people. So my economic philosophy is more in line with his. So that would be, for me, why I voted for him. And I don't necessarily agree with every statement he made or every decision he makes or everything that he does. And I think that's what's really caused a lot of the friction is that, Uh, You know, a lot of people make these broad assumptions based off of an affiliation. Well, I think other Donald Trump supporters, you know, who are maybe more uh, party-centric and just committed to, you know, voting for a Republican regardless of who the Republican is, you know, I think a lot of them just voted against Hillary and a lot of them just voted against Democrats. A lot of them feel, you know, some vindication that they lost – you know, the last two elections when Obama got elected and that George Bush was vilified for all the problems. And, you know, so I think there's some pent-up aggression and frustration and angst. Uh, I think, you know, those people were a little more excited to get out and vote. I think they showed up in larger numbers. I think they were more spirited about it. And I think on the other side, maybe, you know, there was a little bit of complacency. So um, I can't speak for all Trump voters, and ironically, if you've been on my uh, Facebook page enough, you notice that uh, I argue with everyone, <laughs> including the Trump voters. And oftentimes, you know, people are com- you know confused or perplexed or uh, or can't quite figure out who I support. And that's because, you know, I don't I don't think there's any perfect politician. I don't think there's no perfect people. And I have a healthy disdain for all politicians on both sides of the aisle. So. Um, Sometimes picking someone to vote for can be quite a challenge when you're a libertarian. Sure. Okay. Thank you for that perspective. So, Kurt, what I want to ask you is, what does it mean? Uh, what does uh, Donald Trump winning the election uh, mean to the people that you know uh, who supported him, um, and more specifically uh, in the African American community? And I meant to highlight that uh, with Denny as well. I wanted to, and, and I, I was assume that he kind of covered that based on. Uh, most of the people who were commenting on his Facebook that I referenced to were Americans of European descent. So, uh, Curtis, from your perspective, um, you know, based on your interactions with the people around you who did not support him, um, what do you think it means uh, to them? So, uh, so what I, based on the, the people that I've uh, been in contact with, um, 
I I can't really generalize the whole group, but if I took like little snapshots, um, some of the, the younger African Americans I know, uh, they're really not as shocked. Um, they don't really see it as meaning a lot. Um, some of the say older generation African Americans are just quite frankly very upset. You know, they feel like uh, um. You know, America has uh, elected a, a a racist, you know, as, as president. Um, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of people from different backgrounds. A lot of the European Americans that I know, um, they're very upset. You know, they feel like um, I I don't think a lot of people thought that this could be a reality. I don't think that they really understood that. You know, when I when I heard the uh, "Make America Great Again," to me it was a rallying cry, um, and it was a rallying cry uh, of people that were upset about Obama. You know, the eight years of Obama and, and Democrats, and you know what, what's ironic is that some of the sentiments that people have about uh, Trump's election were. You know, there were the same sentiments that people had about Obama's election on the other side. That was, that was pretty ironic to me. But, um, you know, it's, for, for different groups, it means different things that Trump was elected. Um, for me, I would say that uh, I'm really not surprised. Um, like I said, I believe that Make America Great Again was just, just this rallying cry. And it um it really made people feel like uh, white supremacy was under attack, um, whether it was through Obama or through, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton. And um, and I think that, you know, the voters answered that, that rallying cry. So um, I feel like above all, whether you liked, you know, all of his policies or not, you know, that was – it was important to – uh, get retribution for the Obama years and not allow um, Hillary to become president. Okay, and and uh, Kurt, do you uh, care to or mind disclosing how you voted? I actually voted. I actually voted Green Party. I actually voted Joe Stein. Okay. So 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 I um go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. So um, interesting. Um, so the thing um, that I'm that I'm hearing, um, you know, from from Denny's perspective, and you know, it's it's Denny voted for Donald Trump, and for a lot of people that he knows, he can't speak for everyone, but just a general generalized generally speaking, um, it seems like it was based on policy. Um, and from your perspective, uh, Kurt, the people who were upset were upset based on race. So I wanted to ask that general question before I got into the race side of things, because I wanted to hear that, you know, that, that gap. I wanted to see if that gap that I assumed I would hear would be true, and I just heard it. So now I want to, I want to drill down a little bit further, and I want to ask both of you, why is that the case? Why do you think that um, – well, actually, let's, let's go ahead and attack something very directly. I want to just attack this very directly. The narrative that I've been seeing um, – oh, and also, I just want to go ahead and put it out there for the listeners. I personally 
Um, I did not vote. And this is not a show on politics, so I won't spend a lot of time going there. Uh, <laughs> but I'll just I'll just say this, that I did not vote and I don't vote because politics and the way that the game is played do not align with my personal values. Um, you know, I believe in people coming together. I believe in collaboration. I believe in dialogue. I believe in, you know, uh, give a little, take a little. Um, and politics does not allow for my ideals to uh, have a home. So, you know, and just all the, the negativity that comes out of the election cycle, it just makes me feel yucky inside. So I just choose not to participate. Um, and I think, and not only do I choose not to participate, I also do a lot of research and commentary and how I think we could do things better um, in terms of governance. So I'll just leave it at that. So with that being said, um, I didn't vote for anyone. So now moving on to the race side. Um, since the election has ended, I've heard uh, a lot of rhetoric uh, that's come, that has come across my social media timeline, because that's pretty much where I get my news from, about, you know, I cannot believe that America elected a racist. <laughs> and what I'm trying to understand is whenever I speak to any of my friends uh, who support Trump, I know African-American people who voted for Trump. I know, well, not many, but I do know a handful. And then I know a lot of uh, European-Americans who voted for Trump. And one of my friends, um, you know, who I'm really, really close with, a great friend of mine, um, which I, I actually, I'm so glad I have this perspective. So, you know, you just, a lot of people, especially a lot of African-American people on social media that I know uh, and, and that I don't know, you know, just have this feeling that, you know, and, and actually European-American people too, if you voted for Trump, then either you, you are a racist or you support racist values and tendencies and everything that goes along with being, you know, a, a racist in America, right? So I find that interesting because I know that to be untrue. You know, Denny is someone who voted for Trump. I know that Denny's not a racist, okay? I, um, and let me say this. I know that Denny, because I believe there's a difference, and I want to go ahead and be, be more clear. There's a difference between prejudice and racism. So I'll say that um, I know that Denny is not prejudiced against people who are not Americans of European descent, okay? And he's never treated me with any bias, ill will. I've been to his home. We've traveled together, et cetera. Been around his family, his kids, everything. Um, and he spent time with my wife outside of me. So we have, you know, uh, in, you know in, in business relations and friendships. So we just have a, a relationship to the point where you just know if someone just doesn't like you because of who you are. And I've never gotten that from Denny. And I have another friend who I've known since college, who I lived with at one point, great friends. Again, we spent a, a ton of time together, travel together. Like, I really know this guy. This is my guy. And we remain friends through adulthood. And I've spoken, I spoke to him throughout the campaign process because he stumps hard for Donald Trump. He stumps hard for Donald Trump throughout the entire campaign on social media. And I would call him up and we would actually talk about why he supports Donald Trump. And what I can tell you is that he does not have a prejudice bone in his body towards African-American people or other ethnic minorities. Now, in terms of what racism is, just so we're clear, and it doesn't matter, this is Scott talking, these guys are going to speak how they want to speak, but I want my listeners to be clear, to understand. For me, racism are, is actions, behaviors, etc., that support systems of racism that exist in our society and in America in general that I believe are, you know, and I know for a fact that have been embedded in our society, um, you know, from the formation of this country. So for economic reasons. So 
racism is systemic. A racist person is someone who, whose thoughts, actions, and you know, words and behavior support racist systems. Um, I'm sorry, or, or oppressive systems based on race, et cetera. Some of us do it by accident. Some of it is, you know, um, unconscious, you know, bias, et cetera. And it's by accident because we just happen to be Americans. But what I'm speaking to is prejudice. So I, I say all that because um, I want everyone to know that, you know, with this show and what we do with Race Haven, we try to be as, uh, as, as authentic and as um, honest and as, you know, pinpoint, you know, pinpoint things as possible and kind of unpack all this race-related, you know, stuff in our society as much as possible. So with, with all of that being said, a lot of the rhetoric that has come out of this whole thing is that, you know, all these people who support Trump are racist or prejudiced against minorities and, and African-American people. And I know that to, to not be true from the people I know. Um, so my question is, for both of you, why has that gotten so much legs? Um, why is that the narrative? And based on your personal experience, do you believe it to be true? Do you believe that Donald Trump is, I don't want to say is a race, I guess, yeah, I guess we should start there, that Donald Trump is a racist and America elected a racist and his supporters are racist. I'll, I'll just start at that extreme. So, Denny, if you don't mind, could you, could you add some context to what I just said from your perspective? Sure, and, and I can't speak for uh, Donald Trump because I don't know him personally and and haven't spent enough time with him like I have with you in order to, you know, see his actions over time and whether they uh, he holds any prejudice or not. I, I personally don't believe he is or does. Um, I think that if that were the case, um, not just his political uh, campaign, uh, you know, supporters or, or uh, the people within his camp, but throughout all of his companies over all of the years, you know, he's hired and put, you know, some African Americans in some really significant roles and, and I don't believe that he's intentionally racist or prejudiced. But again, I don't I don't know him. Uh as far as his supporters, now um sure, there are probably some <clears throat> clan members and racists and bigots and I'm sure there's some of those that are in his, uh, you know, supporters. Considering over 60 million people voted for him. Having said that, I don't think that's the vast majority. I think the vast majority of them are people like me. And the idea that just because you voted for Donald Trump, you're some kind of racist bigot, is the exact reason why he won. And what I mean by that is that the uh, the left, or Democrats for the most part, have tried to uh, make themselves the party of inclusion. You know, they include uh, African Americans, they include Muslims, they want to include gay people. It's inclusion, inclusion, inclusion. At least that's what they say. So the assumption is that if Democrats are inclusive, Republicans are exclusive. And so that if Democrats accept all races, Republicans just are all white people. And that if you're a Republican or vote for Donald Trump, you hate black people. So that is a political strategy that many Democrats have tried to employ 
and sometimes they've done it very successfully. And I'm sure it's won them some campaigns and some races. Uh, I think it's despicable, but that it is a strategy. And if, and if in your mind, if you're a politician and the uh, mean, you know, the end justifies the means, then you know some a lot of politicians on both sides of the aisle will say and do whatever it takes to get into the office, which is one of the things I hate about politics. But I think as a strategy, it's been effective in some point. In some uh, campaigns, I think in this one in particular with regards to Donald Trump, the reason all of the polls missed this coming, the reason no one thought he had a chance, the reason people are so shocked is because there were a whole bunch of people like me. And if you go out there and look at my Facebook feed, you know I never publicly came out and said, I'm supporting Donald Trump. I didn't, like your other friend you referenced, stump hard for Donald Trump. I didn't go to his campaign headquarters in Atlanta and make thousands of phone calls. I didn't go put out signs. I didn't go knock on doors. I didn't go say, hey, support Donald Trump. I mean, I know people that did, but I didn't because I wasn't that excited about him. But when you take – and I'm, I don't mean you. You as in the political machine takes this broad brush and calls all Trump supporters – homophobic, racist, sexist, anti-Semitic, and they start painting you with these really nasty adjectives. Well, then all you do is you just don't you just don't raise your hand and say I'm voting for Trump. You don't publicly announce who you support. You don't call up the pollsters and declare your, you know, support for Donald Trump. You just shut your mouth. Go about your life, and when you get into the voting booth, you push the button for Trump. And the reason that the polls were so off is because people like me didn't want to be painted with that sexist, racist, homophobic, anti-Semitic brush. So um, specifically back to your question, no, I don't think most Trump supporters – are racist. I think most of them are like me, and they had, you know, they have particular values, whether it be social, uh, fiscal, or otherwise. And whether they were voting for him or against someone else, or he was the lesser of two evils, or like you, abstained from voting or something else. I mean, I just think it was because, because of that narrative, is the reason that everyone was so shocked. Okay. So before we continue, and I let Kurt uh, jump in, uh, before we continue and do that, I want to take a, a brief pause uh, to tell our listeners about how they can support Race Haven and be a part of our growing community. Uh, there are two ways to engage with Race Haven. We have this podcast, and we have our private Facebook group called Race Haven Community Dialogue. You can visit Facebook and just search for Race Haven Community Dialogue, and you could join there. I created a Patreon page, which is similar to Kickstarter, so that our listeners can earn cool perks like a custom Racehaven t-shirt by supporting the ongoing improvement and growth of the Racehaven mission. If you are a regular consumer of this work and you believe in what we are trying to accomplish through dialogue, please consider making a contribution by visiting racehavenpodcast.com and clicking become a patron at the top of the page. For those of you who choose to support, thank you so much. 
Now, back to the dialogue. So, Kurt, what is your thought process on the the rhetoric, the media rhetoric, as well as the social media rhetoric of all of, I won't say all of, uh, but a lot of Trump supporters are coming out. I'm sorry, a lot of people who did not vote for Trump are coming out and saying, oh, my goodness, I can't believe America voted in a racist and sexist and, you know, uh, you know, homophobic, you know, xenophobic, et cetera, person. And all of his supporters, I can't believe that you let this happen. Um, so, what are your, what is your perspective on that? So, uh, uh, like, 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 uh, Denny, uh, I do not know Trump, but I do know that, um, he has made, uh, homophobic statements, sexist statements, racist statements. Um, so if I, you know, without knowing them, I, those are the facts though, that he has made those kind of statements. Um, if he is not uh, a racist, he definitely uh, has shown the ability to have uh, racist tendencies. Um, the 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 like other what? issue. Can you give an example? When you say he's shown, it's proven, it's a fact. Do you have? Can, well, can you I mean, give us an through, the, through, the, through the, the generalized statements that he that he's made about Mexican immigrants, you know, that they're coming over, committing these crimes. Um, uh, I think he, you know, he said they were like, like coming over and raping people and stuff like that. Um, so there were some other, you know, the the way he references uh, the African Americans, the African, you know, the, the blacks, you know, certain ways that um that he references quote unquote others that uh that lead me to believe that he definitely has racist tendencies. The other issue is that while all his supporters may not be racist, they supported someone with racist tendencies. So, it, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's, it gets muddled in that. Um, I will say that I think that the dialogue that we have about uh, racism and racists and the support of uh, systemic racism and racial tendencies, racist tendencies, I feel like a lot of Euro- European Americans, they, they, they deny it in a way because it thinks that they feel as though it makes them bad people, and I don't agree with that. Through my experience with, um, you know, people from all different nationalities, um, there are even African Americans who support, uh, you know, who who hold systemic uh, racist racist ideals, and um, they support them, they enable, and they enact them. So I think having some understanding from that aspect of race and racism, and you know. You know, it's really hard to call somebody a racist because you really don't know what's in people's heart. But you you can point out blatant, blatant racist, racist statements, tendencies, and um, actions. Let me. Can um, I jump in really quick? Because I just ahead, something just ahead. popped something just popped into my head that I, I was trying to think about. Like, what's an example? Like, why do people say that about Trump? What's an example? And it's something just popped into my head. Um, and maybe okay. you guys know this. I, w- I read somewhere uh, on social media that he supported stop and frisk. 
uh, that he said he wanted to, um, you know, he's like the law and order, um, you know, uh, he's the the law and order candidate. And for our listeners um, who may not be aware, um, there, there's something called the Southern strategy that, that um, Richard Nixon, during Richard Nixon's uh, years, uh, he implemented to play on a lot of the uh, prejudiced, um, you know, uh, indoctrination that Americans have. And during that time in the seventies, I think that there, there would be any, there's no one on this, on this, that's listening to this podcast that would not admit that America has uh, a lot of a racist background in terms of our policies and our, the way our society has been socialized. It was socialized, um, you know, to think that African-American people, uh, well, first of all, that they were uh, property. And then after they were property, they were uh, less than, and that white people, uh, quote unquote, white people were superior, um, you know, to African uh, Americans. Right. So, with that being said, Richard Nixon ran a campaign that spoke to subtly spoke to those ideals, those beliefs, those indoctrinations. And one of the ways he did it was he became the law and order candidate. And basically what they did is they just highlighted uh, African-American criminality and they made African-American criminality just through the propaganda and the way they, the, the way they paint the picture to be some type of worse form of criminality. And I know there, there may be some people listening to this right now that may still be under the belief that African-American people just commit more crimes because there's more African-American people behind bars. Whereas there's Untrue. other research, there's other research and studies that show that because of the way that history is unfolded in this country and because of the way policies have been acted and because of the way that um, policing has been um, enforced, that it was all targeted towards um, surveilling African American communities differently than 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 uh, European American communities are surveilled, so all of those things led to the increased prison population of African Americans. So you know, I do a lot of research on this. I'm reading a book right now called The New Jim Crow. There's a documentary on Netflix called Thirteenth that breaks all of this down. So one of Nixon's strategists from way back then has been has come out on record to to acknowledge that this is what they tried to do. This, I'm sorry, this is what they intentionally did, and they called it the Southern strategy. And a lot of the things that Donald Trump has said uh, about being the law and order uh, candidate, it is exactly out of the playbook of Nixon and Reagan, especially because they enacted the war on drugs, and Reagan you know, ratcheted up, ratcheted up the war on drugs in the 80s and painted you know, African-American drug users and abusers as criminal, while studies show that uh, people use drugs. Uh, European Americans use drugs at the same rates, if not at a greater rate, than African Americans. However, African American drug users and, and, and sellers were painted as the criminals, as the you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We all know the narratives. So, with all that being said, when Trump said that he's going to double down on the stop and frisk uh, policies, you know, for me, that is one thing to me that stood out, that showed me that he is insensitive to the concerns of African-American people and insensitive to what the stop and frisk laws have done and the damage. I can't even articulate and find the right word for the damage that those policing policies have had on African-American communities. Literally right now, there are more African-American people behind bars for selling weed 
a, a victimless crime because someone actually agreed to buy the weed from them, right? And, you know, it's a, it's a victimless crime in a sense that someone agreed and it was a, as a mutual, you know, transaction. Um, they're behind bars for selling weed with, with a lot of policies that, you know, these, these um, you know, there's a lot, put like this, they put them behind bars for a long time. I don't know this stuff off the top of my head. I'm just giving you some, some generalities right here. But there's more people behind bars right now for selling weed, the African-Americans for selling weed, than were behind bars in 1980 for all crimes combined. Because it wasn't until Reagan got in office and really started doubling down on these policies to surveil African-American communities in this war on drugs that they started locking people up at a just ridiculous rate. And that's why we have such a huge problem uh, with mass incarceration in this company and how that all tied back to the, the private prison industry and people making money off of filling these beds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Again, another reason why I refuse to support politics, because a lot of the things that hurt society were all done in the name of good politics and policy in the name of making people money. So with all that being said, when Trump said that he supports, you know, stop and frisk, my thing is this. I went to a high school that was very diverse in Philadelphia, and the only people in that high school that I ever heard of doing cocaine, et cetera, were the European-American students. Then when I went to college, I went to a college in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, which is a majority European-American uh, part of Pennsylvania and city. And my college was 97% European-American, and the 3% were other ethnicities, including African-American and other ethnicities. And there were so many kids doing drugs at that school, but the police were never stopping and frisking the kids on college campuses or in suburban neighborhoods, or in high schools like the one I went to, et cetera. So, you know, when you just do the math and you just kind of look back on it and you say, but they're stopping, you know, fathers and people on their way to work in urban cities around America because of some policy, and they, you know, back it up with all these other, you know, things, it's just, it's just not, bottom line, it's not fair, because Americans do drugs. Let's just be honest. Americans do drugs, right? So... So go ahead. I mean, if so you that's, look that's at, just an example if, really if, quick. Go ahead and jump back in, Kirk. I mean, another one, if you look at uh, Trump's position on New York Five, uh, the five uh, African-American teenagers that was accused of raping uh, a white woman. Uh, and uh, the even though all the evidence said that they probably didn't do it and there was a lot of gaps, I mean, he vehemently went against went after those guys. Yeah. Uh to the point where even after they were exonerated by DNA evidence, still would not back down from his position. So, I mean, you know, you know, part of the problem and uh, is that we have this bundle type politics and, you know, so a guy might, you know, his, his second amendment position might be the one you want, but he's just, you know, is a guy that clearly has race, racist tendencies and you get people who, you know, well, it's not, and if if those if those uh those racist ideals don't really affect you the way they affect everybody, it might not be a deal breaker for you. You know, if if you're not the one being you know criminalized or victimized or being preyed upon by some some uh you know uh, racist policy or law or or even you know ideal uh. Then it might not be that bad for you, you know. I'm not so, Mexican, so 
So when if he when he talks about uh, you know building a wall and kicking you know breaking up families and kicking these immigrants out and stuff like that, you know that might not be a big deal to you because you're not Mexican and that doesn't affect you. So what about Muslims? Let's, let's go, can you speak to that really quick? Because you said what he's going to have all Muslims. Um, right. They have so to I, I am, be banned. Right. I I am I am Muslim. So uh, you know, I mean, how that sit you with know, you? to be I, to be honest, it sounds so outrageous that it's almost unreal. It really does. Um, when he talks about banning Muslims from this country, and I mean, Trump, to me, it's rhetoric that he knows the public wants to hear. Uh, Trump probably does more business with Muslims in New York City. Uh, I mean, one of the one of the sheikhs in you know in the Middle East owns like the majority of percentage of of docks in New York where goods come in and out. So I think, you know, while I'm not saying he's not serious about some of the things he's saying, I I believe that, like you said, it's a play, it's a political strategy where you play on people's fears to, uh, to, to garner support, you know, um, or you, you play on, you know, misguided statistics. I mean, like, like you talked about, uh, black on black crime, um, it's a very it's a very misguided term in statistics as you know kind of like it connotates that african americans do a special kind of crime against each other when the the numbers and the data show that people of the same ethnicity who live near each other commit commit crimes against each other the most crimes are committed by people who live in close close proximity and while we like to think that this country is a melting pot and a lot of areas is very segregated so you have a lot of Mexican Americans living near Mexican Americans. A lot of, I mean, you know, in the city I'm from, Philadelphia, you have different sections. You have a Vietnamese section, you have a Puerto Rican section, and you know the crimes that is being committed in these areas are done by the people that live in those areas. So I think it's a it's a case of you know his 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 rhetoric. And he about, tweeted something out uh, about that too, just really quick. He tweeted something out about, you know, black, quote unquote, black on black crime, which is another thing that you'll never hear me say in conversation because it is the most it is racist, you know, because it supports the, the, the systemic uh, biased and, and oppressive systemic structures uh, that I speak to in terms of, um, you know, race based systemic structures. So when he tweeted that out and it was actually a false statistic. That's, I think that's another example. And I, I literally just, you're helping jog my memory of some of the things that I can point to as examples of why a lot of uh, African-American people and people who are aware of, of non-African-Americans who are aware and sensitive to these things, um, they notice and they pick up on. Um, so, right. so, so, so go ahead, Kurt, finish up. Ahead. And I want to ask Denny no, uh, so, to come yeah, in so, and speak to this so, as well. So, you know, while, uh, I mean, I think part of it is that I, I wouldn't say that, I mean, I, I don't think every person that voted for Trump is, is racist. I, I don't think that. Um, I think they should know that they they have supported uh, a person with some very questionable, uh, you know, made some very questionable statements regarding race, has some very questionable ideals uh, regarding race. Um, I don't think that that makes them a bad person or, you know, somebody that, you know, that, that you can't dialogue with or somebody that, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't value others. I just think that um, we need to be more cognizant of, of these things and have empathy for others and, uh, 
we need to have empathy for others who who these kind of statements may affect. Okay, so let me ask Denny, how does that, what Kurt and I just, just share about how some of the things that Trump said that uh, we believe can be hurtful to African-American people um, and support belief systems and values that have been embedded in our society that are hurtful to African-American people that Trump, his, some of his actions and words um, kind of support it. How does that land with you uh, and everything you just heard us say, Denny? Because um, oh, let me let me uh, say this too. You also because at the beginning I want to say this. At the beginning you said that you do not think, um, and as we all acknowledge, we don't know if someone is in their heart, you know, to you know identify as being someone who's prejudiced or bigoted or racist. But based on the examples we just gave, how do you, how does that you know translate to you and how we you know how we just shared some of those examples? Yeah, I, I think uh, you nailed it with regards to, you know, what's in his heart, and I don't know if he's truly bigoted or not. Um, but having said that, there's no doubt that, you know, it's hard to support someone that makes uh, such inflammatory statements. Um, and in my opinion, for pure political strategy, it's, as you referenced, you know, he was trying to garner enough. In the beginning, it was a lot more inflammatory because he had to separate himself from all the other Republican candidates and said and did what he needed to do to get through that process. And 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 I don't um, condone. I don't like politics for that reason either. Actually, uh, if y'all'd like to circle back later, because I want to address a few things that y'all said. Would rather talk about you know, how the um, two-party system, Republicans and Democrats, uh, foster this, you know, uh, racist and uh, divisive culture we have in in politics. I'll circle back to that. Okay. So, um, but back to the topic at hand, um, I I believe first the three-fifths strategy that you referenced, um, everybody who wanted slaves wanted slaves counted as a person which is ironic, right? Uh, And everybody that was against slavery didn't want slaves counted at all. And most people don't understand that. And the reasoning behind it is because if you didn't want slavery, you didn't want slaves to count as a person because if you made them a person, then the South, which had a lot of slaves, would have a lot more political power in the Electoral College and in Congress. Right. So – the very people that wanted slavery gone wanted slaves not to count at all so that it would reduce the power of the South so that they could then have the power to get rid of it. Contrary to that, people who wanted slaves wanted them to count as a full person, not not a part of a person, because it would have exponentially grown their political clout, both in the Electoral College and in Congress, and they could have kept them slaves forever. So I think that's you know, needs to be cleaned up just so people understand why the three-fifths compromise exists at all. It was a way that they were trying to basically come to an agreement on who would have how much power, which doesn't make it any less disgusting. It just, like most things that we don't like, it was all a fight for political power. Everything so, is about power and money. Go ahead. Yeah, right. But, and, but that, and both, does it, I'm sorry? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Finish no, so so both sides, you know, and, and that's why I'm a libertarian because I don't support, you know, I, I'm tired of the two-party system where Republicans and Democrats scratch each other's back, and it really is all about 
personal gain. It's all about power and favors. But back to his specific stance, and you brought up um, stop and frisk. You know, as a libertarian, I said that you know, uh, individual liberty and freedom is what I hold most dear. And stop and frisk, to me, has been abused. It has been used to incarcerate African Americans, and it has been uh, a source of you know, a, a, a systematic racism in this country. And I don't support stop and frisk. And and I don't, but I don't necessarily think that, like many maybe racist state, uh, statements or stances, uh, I think a lot of people, and I'm putting myself in the, that boat, have probably made some ignorant racist comments or taken a racist position, not really understanding how it impacts an African-American male who's supporting a family and lives in a, you know, in a... um you know, impoverished area because we haven't walked in those shoes, so we don't understand how those policies affect those people and ultimately mm-hmm. may find ourselves on the wrong side of an argument just out of pure ignorance. So I don't know if Donald Trump's racist or ignorant or what, but I don't believe in preemptive policing. I don't believe in giving up freedom for safety because when you give up even an ounce of safety, I mean an ounce of freedom for in the name of safety, you give up both. Right, and that's a personal philosophy, which is the same. But I can apply that to Donald Trump and say we don't need to be stopping people and frisking them for no reason. And I can also apply that to Hillary Clinton and say, you know, I have a right to have a gun, and you have no right to take it from me. You can't stop me from shooting someone before I shoot them. It, right. You have to commit the crime before you're punished, not just mm-hmm. look like someone who's thinking about committing a crime, which is ultimately what stop and frisk does, and why. I can see it being yeah, but, misused but, in the ways you're talking about. But stop, stop and frisk is a little bit different in the fact that it is a it is purposely and systematically used to uh, su- support a system and target African Americans. Um, First Amendment, uh, se- uh, the Second Amendment rights, and. I, while I, while I understand, and you know, I, I have a license, and I carry, and I and I believe that we should have the right to, um, you know, that 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 is not a designator of racial or racist policy or ideals. If you believe someone should have a gun or not, because we're talking about yeah, and I wasn't applying, it, and if it came across okay. that way, I apologize. Okay. I wasn't applying no, it no, to no, uh, no. the racial issue as much as. Uh, just uh, trying to uh, give an example of of my personal belief and and or or not believing in the concept of preemptive policing at all. Okay. So let me let me ask you this then, Denny, because I want to hold you to the fire on this because I know a lot of our listeners are thinking, well, if you if you know the damage, and when I say damage, I'm talking literally millions of African American men are now under under control because they have felonies for selling drugs. Millions, millions. And it's disproportionate because they're not being, you know, it's disproportionate because European-American drug users and sellers aren't being held accountable in the same way. That's where the rub comes in. Sure. So if you know that, and, and, and then I want to also take it to this, because a lot of people just don't understand why there's so many angry, young African-American people well, it's because their dads and their granddads have been being pulled out of communities for decades for, for BS, for BS policies. 
And then there's, there's real human consequences to that. When you wonder why the dropout rates are so, are so great, you know, it's, I mean, everything that we see perpetuate in itself um, in the African-American community is, is in terms of poverty and all the, the ills and the, the negative, um, you know, impact of poverty are heightened and perpetually, I'm sorry, disproportionately um, heightened because of these policies. So what African-American people are going to ask someone like you, Denny, who clearly understands that and how that, that specific policy is hurtful, and it may not be a fair question, but I'm asking because I want to get your answer, why would you vote for someone who supports it? Uh, because I don't believe that there's any one individual policy or stance that becomes um, – the reason to not vote for someone. Uh, I think you have to take all of their policies, all of the, you know, whether it be social or fiscal, and find the politician that most closely aligns with your beliefs. And one of the things that Democrats have done a really good job of, and I applaud them for it, this goes back to my inclusive versus exclusive and why I was actually baffled that Donald Trump won. I, I expected Hillary Clinton. <laughs> um, is that the Democrats or the left have done a really good job at saying, hey, you can disagree with 99% of our platform, but if you're gay, vote for me. You can disagree with 99% of our platform, but if you're black, vote for me. Hey, you can disagree with 99% of our platform, but if you're a woman, vote for me. It's like the left has done an amazing job at piecemealing this group together of people who can literally disagree with 99% of the platform, agree on one issue, and vote for that person, whereas – most of the Republicans, which I think do an awful job at communicating the platform, they can agree on 99% of the policies of the platform. And, and if you're a Republican and your candidate says one thing that pisses you off, you won't vote for them. And, and the, that is the reason I was surprised that Trump made it. So to answer your question, I – agree with him on more things socially and economically than I agreed with Hillary on. And I don't okay. personally believe that a vote for Trump means that I'm voting to incarcerate millions of black people no more than I believe that you voting for Hillary. And when I say you, whoever the Hillary voter is, right, you know, agrees with her stance on abortion or gay marriage or guns or you know you don't have to you don't have to just because you pulled the lever for hillary doesn't mean that i automatically assume that you agree with every stance she's ever taken on every issue and i think that's where i come into you know i get in the biggest argument with with uh most people is that i i the reason i think you have me on this call is because i go into the conversation with the with the desire to dialogue and understand you know where they stand on different issues not assume that just because they voted for one person they agree with all of them so i have no problems separating my 
disagreement with Donald Trump on stop and frisk from the other issues. Okay. Um, Kurt, did you want to add anything before we transition to my next statement? No, I just, you know, it's just, uh, and I, you know, I really appreciate your comments, Danny. I really do. I appreciate your honesty. And, um, I mean, it's really, it's really great to hear and have this kind of dialogue. Um, you know, I just, I just, but before you jump in, it, I mean, it, I think weed should be legalized everywhere anyway. It looks like it will be here soon, <laughs> so we can get rid of that problem. It should, Man. Well, but, you know, <clears throat> and I don't even smoke weed, but to to each his own, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, just like with with the, with the weed issue, I mean, the the sad part about it is that the devastation, that the criminalization of African Americans and marijuana, like what it has caused, and and so do you, you know, it's people's lives who have been ruined, and now that it's going to become legalized, it's going to be people, you know, making billions and billions of dollars off of it, you know, and there's people sitting in jail right now because they had a couple bags on them or something like that. But um, no, I just, I just, I just. And I understand, and and I, I'm 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 really not a Hillary supporter at all. Um, I mean, I, like kind of like Scott, like I almost uh, never. I, I mean, I, I probably I, I pretty much almost never vote, <laughs> and I was compelled to vote uh, this election based on you know some some things that I was kind of thinking. Um, and some things I heard about uh, a long-term strategy. I think part of the problem is that every election that we have is this big fire sale, and they, uh, the media and the, and the news outlets they play it like you know the house is burning down, and this is the most important election in your life. And if you don't vote in this one, or you don't vote for this candidate, and and what you do, you you don't realize that the presidential election comes around every four years. So if you really want to develop a long-term strategy for third-party candidates to really be inclusive, then you have to you have to start voting for them now. So, but because it's this fire cell, you abandon your plan, you abandon your candidates, and they'll never be a part of the problem. Because I mean, think about it. Uh, you know, election every four years. So if you want that third-party candidate introduced or to get the five percent to be able to participate, you got to start. You know, that might be twenty years before that happens. And and I think when they employ this fire cell strategy of this is the most – I mean, the last three elections that I, you know, that I've, you know, I can remember have been the most important in my life, and my life <laughs> depended on it. And uh-huh. my my kids was going to die, and I was going to – you know, people – you know, I'm going to be the picking cotton kind of now because – right, I'm going to be picking cotton in the South because Trump is elected. And um, But I believe <laughs> that the mainstream people, uh, people in general fault – they. They they fall for this and they abandon their, you know. I'm not going to sell out my my ideals for the vote. I'm not, and I re, I refuse to. And um, Hillary does not represent my ideals. Neither, neither does Trump. But the, the fact of the matter is that the people that um, while I don't think it's an intentional act, when when you support a candidate like Trump or Hillary, because Hillary was very instrumental in um. And the three strikes rule and, and the mandatory minimums. When we support these uh, candidates, looking at well, it's not that bad because I like like it's it's some serious, deep, long term effects that happens. And um, I think having an inability to see that and to really see how that plays out um, without looking at the the history of how it's played out in the past 
I think um I think we I think we make I think you know oftentimes like you said we wind up on the wrong side of 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 the ballot or the wrong side or on the wrong party. So so with that, well, I'm say, a prime example. Think, I'm a libertarian, and I didn't vote for Gary Johnson because right. he's a clown. And uh, and and I think the libertarians missed an opportunity to really make a splash by uh, not nominating someone that was actually, you know, had a brain. I mean, I think Trump ears. is. I think I don't think Trump is any less clown than Gary Johnson, to be honest. You well, know, I think based Trump on, is, I think Trump's far more capable of uh, running any organization, whether it be a government or anything else, than than Gary Johnson. That's just. That, that that comes right back to my party politics, and if we got rid of Democrats and Republicans and Libertarians, because believe me, Democrats and Republicans want the two-party system. That's how they control all of us through, um, as you referenced, that fire sale mentality and and, te- and telling people that you know this is the most important election of your life, and even if uh, you don't necessarily agree with all of us, you you, you know you got to do this or else that other person is going to ruin it. And if we got rid of two-party politics, and literally when you watched a debate or listened to a candidate in an interview or on television or in a ballot box, there was no association with the party. You would actually have to get to understand their position on the issues, and you would have to vote based off of your agreement with the positions, not what party they align themselves with because – I think way too many people than we want to admit walk into a voting booth with absolutely no clue on – I'm talking Republicans and Democrats – what those people actually stand for, and they just pull the lever down a party line because their parents did that or they don't know any better or, or they do know – or they do understand it. And I, 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 don't, I don't know, but I, I do personally I, I agree believe with you. if we get rid of party politics, people would actually have to vote for people that they supported. So I have a question. Let's, I, I, let's let me let me ask this to bring it back to um, race as well, because uh, I wanted both of you to have a chance to say what you just said. But that <clears throat> sparks this question: Why is it that the racist, the blatant racist, or quote unquote white nationalists, um, you know, the KKK and people like that, why do they vote Republican? What is it about the Republican uh, methodology? I'm sorry, uh, Republican, um, you know, ideals. I don't know, or ideals, yeah, ideology. Ideals. Thank you, thank you. Uh, ideologies that appeal to those who are in fact racist that we, you know, and they add, they admit it. Could you could you add some context to that, Denny? Um, in, in the current, um, here's here's what here's what I know, and here's what I don't know. I know that the the Klan was originally formed by Southern Democrats. That's 100% fact. Right. And it used to be very commonly known that not all Democrats were Klansmen, but all Klansmen are Democrats. Right. So that's what I know. I would agree with you that today most Klan members, and I, honestly I don't know one single Klan member, <laughs> so, or, or if you I know, do know them, I don't know people, that they are a member. You know what I mean? Some people, so, yeah, but some people. I, I just want to say this really quick because it's funny. Some people, some African American people, really think that all European Americans know other racist, you know, European American people. It's like this whole this this painting with the broad brush that goes on in our no, society. No, they really don't pull us aside mind. and say, "I hate black people." I, 
you can literally be friends with someone who may be a member of the clan and have no idea. Okay. So I, I don't I, – I'm telling you 100%, I do not know anyone that has declared themselves as a member of the clan. Do you know any racist people? Any people who just say, you know what, Denny, yeah, just straight up, no, I don't like African-American people. No, I've never had anyone tell me just straight up they don't. Uh, like African American people, but I have ma- heard people make racist comments. Okay. So, I mean, they've never come out and declared it, but sure, I, I there's some people I could probably guess have a less than positive uh, outlook on African American people as uh, I know African Republican? American people who have less, I African Americans who got the same uh, outlook. Use about uh, Euro American white people too, but. <clears throat> yep. That's not here or there. My point is what I what I do know is that the Klan was originated by Southern Democrats and somewhere along the line that changed. Mm-hmm. And I don't so, know because I don't take the time, energy and effort that uh that would be required to figure out what the whole history of the Klan is and, and and why they changed. But I do agree with your statement that today I would assume that most clansmen, most clan members are Republicans. And, and let me just make this point too, because you know we have uh, about 15 minutes to go. Um, but one of the biggest things that bothers me is that everything I'm seeing coming across. Okay, I'm sorry, I, just, I almost did the same thing. A lot of what I see coming across social media, um, especially from African American people, uh, it paints. European American people with such a broad brush and it just feels like we're going and I feel like the media is so complicit in it and in terms of playing up African American fears and it's like it, it it puts us in a position where we are we can't move forward we we can't move forward because African American people when things like you know Trump being elected happen and because everyone focuses on um you know the racist policies and the racist things that he, that he supported, whether it be unknowingly or knowingly, as Denny pointed out, um, we never get a chance to really drill down into that type of context. Everything is sound bites. So because we never get a chance to unpack those things and really ask the deep questions or the right people aren't asking him the right questions, and there's no forum for this type of dialogue, most Americans only can go by their indoctrinated fears. And it happens on both sides. I'm speaking from an African-American perspective and from a lot of my African-American friends. And it seems like African-American people, they just like close ranks. And now every European-American person is like untrustworthy and race, support racist. And we knew that America was a racist country and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, where – for me, I just think it's deeper than all of that, and we don't have the time to go into it this show. I would love to go into it another show, um, and we probably will because I'm going to stick with this because I have a lot that I want to unpack. But I believe that it's so much deeper than the surface level, this person's a racist, this person is not, and that's it. Like, we literally have racist people and not racist people in America. I think it's deeper than that. And even to the point of where some people don't even know they're being racist because of the indoctrination and just because of the way our, our social and political and economic structures are, it's easy. Like the default, let's, let's just, I'm just going to say it like this. And, and we can't, Kurt, you may be able to ask some context to this because you and I have these conversations a lot. The default way of being in America is racist. That's a deep statement. 
we may or may not have time to unpack it. Kurt, you may be able to add some context, and I definitely invite you guys to come back if you want to dig into this a little bit more with me, but I'm going to continue to dig into this statement. You know, the default, and that comes for all Americans, not just European Americans. There are African Americans, as Kurt just said a few seconds ago. There's African-American people who say racist prejudice against African-American people. I have family members at, at like Thanksgiving that will say racist things, and I cringe, and I'll call them on it, and they don't even realize it. They don't even realize that what they are saying perpetuates the negative race-based stereotypes that plague our country, and we're all infected by it. Kurt, you want to add a little so, to that? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean you know, um, I, mean, I do believe that uh, – Race is one of the race and racism are, is one of the, the the biggest things that we deal with in this country. So um, for it to be intertwined in the, so much of the fabric, you know, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me. Um, you know, I mean, we've had talks about you know uh, how uh, you know how America was basically a slave society was funded through through you know uh, through the labor. That was done by by the slaves and the need to have a group of people to oppress, and how it's easy to oppress someone who is identified easily as as being different or looking different. So, um, I just, you know, I, f- I feel like with the climate of what's going on, I mean, the police shootings and, you know, I, the construct of race is, I mean, it's it's easy. So it is the default because it's easy because I can just look at you and say that you are not, you know, you're black, I'm white, or you're black, you're, you know, you're white, I'm black. So I do think it's easily defaulted to, and, um, you know, I just, I don't, I don't, it's, it's so intertwined, it's so systemic through, through, through policy that, that keeps it going, through laws that keep it going, through the media that keeps it going, um, where, uh, and it's so deep, and because we 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 try to act like it doesn't exist, and we wanna we wanna be nice, but it doesn't really serve the purpose. And I'm not saying we need to be mean, but we need to really speak to what things are. You know, um, if you know if, if you know, I, I have listen. I have I have, I have European American friends who you know they, they say you know they they use words like colors and stuff, and and it's like well. I don't think that person is a racist, but I think their lack of exposure and you know once you you know you you educate them and and uh, I, I think that that determines where they're at if they're willing to adjust or see things differently. Um, so you had you had asked about the um, uh, the the poor whites and and their affiliation with the Republican Party um, and and I don't really think about I said what I said racist. I said racist, uh, you know, people who own it and say, yes, I do not like African-American people. I said racist mm-hmm. white people and their affiliation. Uh, but go ahead. Oh, okay. oh well, well, I mean, that's, you know, because, because, while the, because what they hear from the Republican Party is what they are against. Or who, who are the target groups that, that they want to, you know, legislate to? You know, I want to legislate to the Mexicans. I want to legislate to... to to the blacks in the, in the right. cities is the way he says it. You know, um, I want to legislate to the to the to the Muslims. You know, so while he's not really saying any, you know, he's saying who is he who is he against. So when he's right. talking about the legislation that he's going to bring forth, it's 
he's saying who I'm going after. And, you know, to, to racists, I was like, well, he's going after the people I want to go after. So, right. you know, and he's doing all of this in his coded language without saying, you know, uh, without, without saying, you know, I'm a racist or, and when, you know, when he says things like, like, like make America great again, when he talks about the, the, the job, you know, the, the joblessness or the, the fact that like, you know, he's talking in this coded language to these certain groups and um, he's able to, whether, whether the, and I agree with Denny when he says that most people probably don't know their policy because I would be, I would be, I would put money on the fact that the majority of his policy and the majority of Clinton's policy is very similar. We get, mm-hmm. we get this bundle cart politics where there's all of this policy and stuff that's done that we never see, we never hear about. But you hear yep. about abortion, you hear about gay rights, you hear about civil rights, you hear about law and order, crime. But it's all of these other things that's happening, you know, behind the scenes that, you know, that, that's probably already decided, you know, based on, you know, uh, who funded what. So, yeah, if it were if it were if it were really about the uh, that that individual issue, it wouldn't take ten thousand pages. Right, right, right. You know exactly, exactly. That's where so, all um, the other stuff. So, but I just, I just, I feel like uh, until we tackle uh, race and we eliminate the construct of race, like you said, you know, ethnicity and nationality, those are those are two real identifiers. Black and white, uh, that is not a real identifier. And if you use it as an identifier, then you're using it within the confines of, a, of in a place where it was systemically created for racism. Um, race does did not come before racism. Race is a product of racism. You mean so, racism is a product of race? You mean? No, no, no. I mean, ra- I mean, oh, oh you say race. racism? Go ahead. Yeah, I'm saying, I'm saying. Black and white. I got you. I got you. You're saying saying without racism, race wouldn't matter. Right, right. Right. So basically, you're saying like the whole concept of the social construct of race came because, but you're saying it came because of racism. And I say, and here's what I I just want to add this. I want to throw this in. I say it came because of the the desire for power and more power, more money and greed. So they needed race and racism to, you know, support that, that desire for power, money and greed. Well, it's, it's like we say all the time. We have, a, we have you, you know, we're talking about the two-party system, but the real two-party system is capitalism and racism, you know. And, you know, those are the two parties that we really need to be wary of because they work interchangeably and they support one another. To, and, and, and you they, would break that out when the, when, as time is running out because that needs to be uh, Yeah, unpacking. I was going to say because you and I can – we can uh, have a dialogue for another hour and a half on that topic because it's not <laughs> yeah. capitalism that you should be uh, uh, raging against. It's crony capitalism, which goes back to Scott's uh, trading money and power and favors. Man, so, right. so I got I to gotta, I gotta stop it there, guys, because we're running out of time. But uh, I will have you guys back together at some point. Um, because I think that, um, you know, we, we have some, some, this is just a warm up. <laughs> I feel like this is just a warm up. There, there's, there's so many places and so many ways that we can go with this. Um, and, and both of you bring such a great perspective that I know that, that the listeners will gain value from. And if, you know, down the line, if you guys would, would, would be so gracious to come back, you know, I would really appreciate it. Um, so but with the last, with the last 10 minutes though, um, I want to really just, you know, typically we have a solution segment to close out the show. Um, 
And, and as I'm sitting here thinking about it, I'm like, man, how can we wrap solutions around this? Because in order to have a solution segment, it's like you need to even unpack the solution. But just for the sake of staying consistent with our, our format, if you guys can offer up any, anything very briefly about, you know, how, you know, anything that you think would be a solution to, you know, the climate that we're currently seeing, there's a climate of fear. And I want to speak specifically, there's a climate of fear that I'm sensing from the African-American community, from the minority community, from, you know, uh, ethnic minorities, as well as from like, um, you know, the gay community, um, the LGBTQ, um, or, and if I said that wrong, I apologize. And, uh, the that community and, and other other communities, right? And then from the uh, the people who feel like they won, there's this competitive aha, we beat you type divisive, you know, rhetoric that's going on. And I'll say, um, you know, what I think about that after you guys go. But any solutions about what we're currently grappling with in the social sphere um, that is dividing us along those lines? Any solutions to that? Uh, yeah, we started it earlier cool. just to eliminate party politics and all that stuff goes away. Okay. Um, I I uh, I, I guess it's kind of you know it's uh, similar to what Denny's saying, but I, I mean we need a, we need a new system. We need a system that's not uh, rooted in in the type of systemic oppression. Uh, we need a system that is fair to all. And uh, so as of right now, I don't I don't you know I, I see. You know, people just steadying themselves and 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 being a part of of creating that new system. Okay. Well, I just want to add that uh, in terms of solutions, I I'm, I carry both of you guys. It's a combination of those things. Um, personally, I think that we need to get rid of party politics. Um, we need to just get rid of you know, the current system that we have, we need a new system. I think that, um, and again, this is something that, you know, I'll probably unpack on another show, but um, everything that we see right now is man-made and it was man-made. And as, as, as humans, uh, we have the ability to, to look at what's happened and has unfolded through history, look at the needs of the people today and create something better because what's working right now, because of crony capitalism, because of, you know, uh, racism and, and race that was embedded in our society, um, you know, and just the way our society was formed, I think it's time to hit the reset button. Um, I think that our listeners need to steal themselves. Uh, I want to suggest, I can't tell you what to do. I just want to suggest that um, everyone kind of unplug from the media narrative because all it is, is doing what it's designed to do, and that's called fear. And the reality is, um, you know, things are probably going to be, the next four years, things are probably going to be like, what they look like the previous four years. And that's been consistent uh, for me. And as an adult, if, if you kind of step back and take a 10,000 foot view, the reality is things tend to kind of continue to move along the way they've always been moving along because the way the system is designed and whose president has, uh, in my opinion, I may not be right, but it has little to do with, you know, any of our ability to go out here and, you know, you know, do what we need to do for our families and also to progress and also to think, you know, innovatively about how we can make things better. Um, I just think that it's time that we empower us ourselves as the people. And, you know, we continue to get upset every four years, but we, we never do anything about it. And I'm sick of not doing anything about it. I'm sick of it. And I'm sick of this divisiveness. I'm sick of how I feel like we're being manipulated to hate one another, to dislike one another along these various ideals, but we're never talking to one another. 
because when we talk to one another, there's, you know, to get to the underlying beliefs uh, and, and reasons why people support what they support. I think that if we drill down and drill down deep enough and get to know one another enough, we'll eliminate a lot of those, what I call perception gaps and communication gaps. And we'll realize that we all truly want the same things at the foundational level. I believe that all of us truly want the same things out of this world. And we got to stop letting people divide us all in the name of power, money, and greed. So I don't know if that was a solution or if that was a, a soapbox <laughs> moment, but um, that's kind of what that I want to share. sounded more like a, so, a soapbox and some frustration, <laughs> but I think it's, I think it's shared. Okay, I appreciate that. So I'll just say my solution is what Denny and Kurt said, okay? Um, <laughs> so with that said, um, you know, that's our time today. I want to... You know, I want to just say thank you, thank you, thank you so much to my special co-host, guest co-host, um, you know, Raid, Curtis DeVoe, and Denny Faircloth. Uh, Raid, if you don't mind, and I just went to Raid after calling you Kurt the whole show, but uh, if you don't mind, just, just telling our, our listeners how they can connect with you and some of the work that you're doing uh, in the community. Okay, so I'm a coach mentor with the Anderson Monarchs program. We're uh, basically – and, and yeah, the Anderson Monarchs in Philadelphia. Uh, we uh, engage kids through sport. We do soccer, baseball, basketball, um, and we try to create opportunities for exposure. Just recently, last year, we did a civil rights barnstorming tour, and uh, in tribute to the civil rights movement and the Negro Baseball League, where we took a bus and we we traveled city to city and visited civil rights. Uh, civil rights sites and play baseball. Uh, so um, you can read, you can find out more about the Anderson Monarchs at andersonmonarchs.org or philadelphiayouthorganization.org. And I just want to share with everyone, they were on the Major League Baseball channel. ESPN has featured them. Uh, Monet Davis, who was really big uh, at the Little, Little League World Series a few years ago, she's a part of that organization, and, and Kurt's one of her coaches, mentors, uh, et cetera. So if you love what they're doing, please support that organization because they're able to do those things, like take those tours because of uh, contributions from people like you, our listeners. So, um, Denny. Could you please tell our listeners how they can connect with you and your work? Um, yeah, so professionally, I have a fitness business and a financial planning business. And uh, then during this time of year, uh, more specifically, uh, I like uh, helping the, the less fortunate people that don't have family and money. So the two primary organizations uh, that I'd like to garner some support for is one uh, is called Samaritan Purse. So uh, basically, you uh, take they, they'll either send you one, or you can use your own box, and you just uh, go. To, they'll st- send you a list of things that these uh, uh, kids around the world need, and you go to like Target, and it's everything from hygiene to school supplies and Christmas gifts, and uh, you put it in a box, and you send it to them, and they send it overseas, and it's just a really you know affordable, easy way you can make a big impact on somebody uh, around the world. So that's um, Samaritan Purse. And then locally here in the States over the holidays, there's a great program uh, from an organization called Second Wind Dreams. And they they let you adopt uh, elderly people uh, in homes that don't have families. So you can get a list and go to the store and buy all the gifts for Christmas. 
and then uh, we take our family and our kids. Uh, we generally adopt about half a dozen people. And then uh, you can actually either give them to them and they'll deliver them. We like to actually take them to the um, elderly homes and go in and give them to people and hang out and have a cup of coffee and talk and just shine some light on somebody for a day. So, awesome. those, uh, again, that's Samaritan Purse or uh, Second Wind Dreams, and the, the holiday program is called Gifts of Light. Awesome. Thank you so Great. much. Please support those awesome charities. Uh, thank you for shining a light on those, Denny. This is the time of year uh, where I know a lot of people are thinking about those things. Uh, so again, thank you so much to both Kurt and Denny. I really appreciate you guys. I'm going to go ahead and close out the show in the next one minute at, before this uh, recording shuts off on me. So be sure to subscribe to, to the Race Haven podcast on iPhone uh, podcast app or the Stitcher radio app for all of our listeners for Android uh, so that you never miss the dialogue. And if you love this show, please leave us a review on the podcast and Stitcher uh, radio apps. And this will help our show gain more visibility uh, and listeners. And also we want to hear from you. So please email us your perspectives at solutions at racehavenpodcast.com. And we will read a few of yours, uh, your comments and, and perspectives during the show. Also, please visit the Race Haven Podcast Facebook page or racehavenpodcast.com to support Race Haven by clicking on Become a Patron. You can, you can join our online community. Remember, the name is Race Haven Community Dialogue. It's our Facebook group. And if today's episode resonates with you, please share it. A Race Haven is a safe place for people from diverse ethnic, religious, cultural, and political backgrounds to bring their race-based perspectives, questions, assumptions, frustrations, and experiences to engage in thoughtful, honest dialogue in an effort to transcend race and unify America. Remember, we are all smarter when we think together. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Race Haven Radio Show and Podcast. Be sure to visit www.racehavenblog.com to comment and learn more.